0: And Mitch will have those available on your way out to just give a little double honor to you this morning. God's blessed us richly with the plan of motherhood. Now, I realize for some that's a, that's a painful topic because of losses or disappointments that have taken place in your life. But nevertheless, still today, we bring honor to the plan where God has had a design to, to bring nurturing into our family. You know, as a society, we thrive off of success stories. As a matter of fact, when we stop and look at many of the television shows today that are very popular, it's shows that thrive off of those success stories. And when you go to the Biggest Losers website, you see that there's, they've actually created a club where individuals can go and they can record their story. And there's over 230 of those already been recorded and, and thousands upon thousands have hit those sites to read. Why? Because people love success stories. They love reading about Roger Needham, who at the age of 47 decided that he wanted something different in his life, and he lost 113 pounds, and he fulfilled a 40-year-old dream to run the Boston Marathon, and he completed that the other day. We think of other shows that dwell on success stories, like America's Got Talent, or The American Idol, or... In recent times, what has swept the, not only a nation, but has swept the world is the Britain's Got Talent, Susan Boyle. As when she entered the stage, so many people mocked and jeered at her, but yet once she opened her mouth, the first few words melted the judges and all the audience, and it's become one of the most viewed YouTubes in recent times. As we think about success, I'd like to ask you, what is the greatest success? Is it talent? Is it being able to accomplish some kind of discipline? Or isn't the greatest success an individual could ever have is to draw closer to God? And wouldn't the second greatest success be for that individual that has grown closer to God to help someone else grow closer to God? You see, this morning, as we think about Timothy, We think about a young man who was the son of Eunice, who no doubt she must have been so thankful for that young man because he accomplished some of the greatest successes in life that any of us could ever be a part of. He did grow close to his God, and no doubt his mother was a big part of that. We know that in 2 Timothy 3 and 15 that he was taught the Scriptures from the time he was just a child. He was schooled in the Scriptures. But we know that as he grew and developed that he also became a faithful minister of God using the abilities and the talents and opportunities that God gave him to serve in his kingdom. As a matter of fact, we see a little bit of his compassion, his heart and his attitude when one of the highest compliments Paul could ever pay to anyone when he spoke to those of Philippi that he was going to send one back to help them. He said that he was going to send back Timothy, because he was like-minded as he, and that he had a care for the work of, the, of Christ instead of selfish concerns in Philippians, the second chapter. You see, he was so successful that when Paul needed to lean upon someone to carry the gospel back to a place maybe where he had been at one time, for example, in Thessalonica, Paul was driven out of there because of persecution. But Paul wanted someone to go back with the gospel and so he was able to leave Timothy behind to further the gospel there. Or later on, when Paul had left Corinth, he needed to send back a clearer doctrine that could be taught. And he sent Timothy back. As a matter of fact, his influence was so great that when Paul sat down to write 2 Corinthians, Timothy was the co-author with him. He wanted to send Timothy to help out at Philippi. And then think of this. When that old man Paul was dying, he was being held in a prison system. He was waiting to die the death of a martyr. But he wanted someone to come to encourage him, to bring a coat, to visit with him. And he asked Timothy to make that long journey all the way back to Rome. Friends, Timothy... a tremendous study of success throughout the scriptures. But this morning I ask you this. What is it that creates Timothy-like lives? What is it that individuals and churches can do to help create the reproduction of the Timothy types? Number one, as I take you back to the text that's been so carefully read, if you would look back in your Bible to Acts the 16th chapter, we see that it's believing mothers that can be such a gift to children. Now, it's not that everybody that's going to heaven is because of a believing mother, but it is a fact that a believing mother is a gift to any and every child. Look in the 16th chapter in verse 1. He's mentioned Derby and Lystra, and now Lystra is a town where Stephen grew up, and notice what he says here. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. Now, who who is Timothy? The son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek. Do you notice there, there's something that stands out as a distinction between his father and his mother. And someone says, well, that's obvious. She was a Jew and he was Greek. No, there's something much more distinctive than that. You see, at this time in church history, Judaism has been taught Christianity. It began in Jerusalem and spread throughout Judea. And notice we're reading in Acts the 16th chapter, but this time the gospel has been taken to Cornelius and to all the Gentiles. So you see by this time it's not a big deal whether or not you're from the Jews or whether or not you're from the Greeks or the Gentiles as to whether or not you're a child of God. What's the big distinction here in verse 1? The big distinction is that it's said of his Jewish mother that she believed. And when it says something of the father, it's nothing. You see, everything in the scripture seems to point to the fact that yes, his mother was a faithful Christian, but his father was not. Isn't it interesting that what Timothy probably saw growing up was that he saw both sides of life on this earth? He saw what an individual would live like if they didn't believe in Jesus Christ, and he called that individual Daddy. And then he saw what a life looked like for an individual that believed Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and they lived their life faithful in Christ's church, and he called that individual Mother. And we see here the gift that she gave her family as a believer I'm reminded of that principle in 1 Peter the third chapter in verse 1 and 2 where he writes to women who are believers but they're married to unbelievers. And notice what he says in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word. In other words, wives, if your husbands do not obey the word, they, talking about those husbands, without a word, talking about a word from the wife, may be one, how? By the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And the next two verses, he would talk about how women need to put the greater emphasis on the inside than on the outside and make sure that their heart and their spirituality is right within them and with God. So what's the principle here that no doubt... Eunice was living out. The principle, number one, was the fact that God expects, whether it's a husband or a wife, but in this case, He's speaking to wives, He expects the wife to do the right thing, no matter what others do in their family. Here's a woman who's married to an unbeliever, and what does Peter say? Be an example of chastity and of conduct that is pure and holy. In other words, it doesn't matter what your husband does. You decide to do the right thing. Now think about that principle as it carries over into the workplace. What does God expect of you? He expects you to do the right thing, no matter what everybody in your school does, no matter what everybody in your workplace does, no matter what everybody on your street does. God expects, now here's the word, conviction. Friends, if I do the right thing when I'm around church people, and then I do the wrong thing when I'm around folks that are of the world, I'm not a person of faith. That is not faithfulness. That is not conviction. And here God actually writes to women who have to go back and live day in and day out with a man who is not going to be a Christian example and He says to them, do the right thing. Principle number one. Principle number two, because your life is a powerful sermon. Notice, He says to the women here, you're not going to convert your husband by nagging him. It's not going to be by your words. Well, what's going to be? If they're reached, it's going to be because of your example. Your example is a powerful sermon. As a matter of fact, that is also what is being referred to in 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, in verse 13 and 14. So, what is this principle as it relates to today's lesson? As it relates to Timothy, it's this. Here is a young man that grew up in a home with a mother who was a believer. She showed him that conviction to do the right thing no matter what others did. And it had a tremendous influence, perhaps not in his father's life, but it had a tremendous influence in Timothy's life. What a gift she gave her son. When we think about influence, I like to think about the pyramid of influence that Stephen Covey talks about. I don't know exactly how the pyramids were built. That's something that is an amazing feat to even think about, but I am pretty sure of this. The pyramids were not made, built from the top down. The first layer of the pyramid would have to be made, the second constructed, and then the third. Now, as we think about influence in the lives of others, how many times have you just wished that you could make a difference in the life of someone? Keep in mind, that, that, Ultimate influence comes at the top. And too often times, we try to start there and it doesn't work. In other words, we want to immediately sit down and we want to tell somebody something. We want to explain something to them. We want to teach them something because, hey, if you'll listen to me, I can have the right influence in your life. The pyramid of influence begins on the bottom with a life that is modeling Christianity. Here is a woman who went back to her home and she modeled Christianity before her son. Friends, whenever a parent sets down and tells their children what they expect of them and that child knows that it is a double standard being set because their parents do not do that very same thing, they're asking them, that is not influence. That is revealing hypocrisy is all that is. If we really say to our children, I want you to love the Lord, the question is, do we live a life that proves we love the Lord? If we say to our children, we want you to be people of integrity, do we live a life where they have seen every day in every way that we are living that life of integrity? When we speak to our children about, I don't want you to be lazy, are we showing them a base model of ourselves that we are industrious and that we're not lazy. When we say to them, I want you to learn the scripture, are we showing them a life that studies the scriptures? When we think about this model here, we see how important our example is, but second, we see relationships. Now, it's wonderful within family because those relationships ought to be built more easily than if we were talking about this pyramid outside of family. But it's important to build that relationship of trust. Have you noticed that people will listen to someone they trust much more readily and with a much more open mind than someone they don't trust? When we talk about reaching the community of Mount Juliet over the next few weeks, that's going to be a very major endeavor that we're going to try to do. Now notice, we can go and we can knock coldly on a door and we can invite them, but the reality is if they're already your neighbor and you've built up trust with them, you can have a much greater impact inviting them and teaching them than a stranger coming to their door can have. And that is so important when we think about sharing the good news of Jesus. Why? Because when somebody has already seen that person live the life and they've built a relationship of trust, then when that individual sets down to talk with them and to teach them and to explain things, they're open to that particular influence. You see, we see this model carried out in the life of Eunice and the influence that she had upon Timothy. But I'd like for you to notice the second thing as we go back to our text in the 16th chapter in verse 2. It's not just that, that he had a mother who was a believer, but apparently he came from a church who nurtured him. Look at verse 2 when it's speaking, and it says, he was talking about Timothy, was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Now, wait a minute. Who were the brethren? Now, we are studying right now the second missionary journey of Paul. What's interesting is to think about that the church of Lystra actually began on the first missionary of Paul, missionary trip. And if you back up in your Bible to Acts, the 14th chapter, you begin reading in verse 8, and you see that that's when Paul first entered into Lystra. And as he did, there was a crippled man that Paul miraculously healed. And the people were so impressed with that that they began to fall down and worship them as if they were gods and even began calling them by pagan names. As a matter of fact, down there in verse 12, they called Barnabas Zeus and they called Paul Hermes. And when Paul and Barnabas realized what they were doing, they tore their clothes and they ran at the people and they cried out for them not to worship them. But the people saw the power of God working in their lives. The people were converted. But now note this, as we think about that pyramid we just referred to, note this. They also had a powerful example live before them. Because as the church was being established there, there were others that came in from the north. You see there in verse 19, they were from Antioch and Iconium. And they came down with the ultimate purpose of persecuting Paul. They took him out and they stoned him. Now I want you to imagine the brethren at Lystra gather around and can you imagine how their heart was probably pumping so hard? I wonder if they killed our beloved Paul. And he opens his eyes and he is alive. Probably, perhaps, Timothy may have been a little boy at the time watching this. His mother and grandmother were probably a part of the conversion that took place in this first missionary journey. And what we see here is a church that was established where Paul is able to strengthen them in the 14th chapter in verse 22, exhorting them to continue in the faith. Now notice this, that we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Do you think they were willing to listen to Paul? Oh, what does that look like? What what do you mean we're going to have to go through tribulations to get to heaven? Paul? you don't have any influence on us. That doesn't even make sense. Oh, no. It made perfect sense. No one would have been saying that. Why? Because they heard his teaching. They saw the life that he lived. And they saw that he was willing to even die for Christianity. That he was stoned and did not give in, did not give up, did not retract anything. But instead, now they have that relationship built. Why was he at Lystra? Because he loved God and because he loved them. No other reason. They see the Christian life. They see the relationship. And now when he says, I want to strengthen you. Now when he says, I want to urge you to continue to be faithful. Now when he says, it may cost us a lot of tribulations, but it's worth it. You know what they would have said? I'm starting to understand that. Why? Not only did they hear it from God, but they saw it lived out in the life of Paul. And what do you think they did? They took that same heart for God and they started relaying that to others that could be touched with that kind of heart and that kind of teaching. Who did they touch? No doubt they touched Timothy. And what did Timothy do? Timothy grew and matured to the point that when Paul comes back into town on the second missionary journey, can you imagine this? Some of the brethren... Maybe they're small talking. Maybe they're just gathered around. Maybe they were very intentional. They said, Paul. See that young man over there? His name's Timothy. Wow. What a fine young man he is. What have they done? Friends, they had bought in wholeheartedly to the idea that growing closer to God is a great success story, but helping others grow closer to God is even a greater success story. When we look at any congregation that stops investing in other people and they turn inward, they ceased being what God wants to be. When you look at any congregation that stops investing in the next generation, they become a widow to the next generation and they die with their generation. What's the point? The point is that when we are going to raise more Timothy-like young people, it happens whenever you have churches that are more like Lystra. Churches that are engaged in the life of individuals. They're engaged in helping people grow closer to God. And they want to help the next generation do that. I could tell you for the next 30 minutes, an hour of many things that are happening in the life of this congregation that just fires me up to no end. To see the investments that's being made in newborn babes in Christ. To see the investment that's being made in in the younger generation. To see the investments that are made, whether it's an older person or a younger person that says, I want to serve more. Okay, let's help you grow into that. I want to learn more. Okay, let's help you grow into that. Friends, it's churches that have a heart of nurturing that can help grow individuals more like Timothy. But finally this morning, I take you to the next verse and we learn a lesson from Paul and that is, it's mentors who invest. Now, you've imagined whatever scene you have in your mind with those brethren standing around. They're talking with the great missionary, the great apostle Paul and they point out their brother over there that's young His name's Timothy. And what does Paul do? Oh, one young man like that. Listen, I'm a worldwide missionary. I don't have time to worry about one soul. Hey, you're the local brethren here. You take care of him. Question Are you so busy you don't have time to help a soul? Are you so busy that you lose sight of individuals? Can you imagine living the life that Paul lived being an apostle, being a leader of the early church and traveling the world over but yet taking the time to see individuals? Mentors. If I had to give you one of my greatest concerns for the church as a whole across the world, one of my greatest concerns is that we do not take the responsibility of mentoring the next generation seriously. Do you believe that 25 years from now, the congregation at the Mount Juliet Church of Christ will be more spiritual, will have stronger leaders and accomplish more for the glory of God than what it is presently doing? In your mind, answer yes or no to that. Do you believe in 25 years it'll be stronger, more spiritual, accomplishing greater things And if your answer to that is, well, I just don't know. You know the way the world's getting. You don't believe in mentoring. You don't believe in the power of God. You don't believe that God can do what God says He can do. God has always been able to take one generation and grow the next generation stronger if the first generation believes in Him and believes in what He can do. Friends, if everybody here looked to somebody beneath them and said, I believe in you. Look at the words of Paul right here. Look in the 16th chapter and verse 3 when Paul says, Paul wanted to have him. We have too many in church that don't want anybody. Let me live my own life. I don't have any time to get involved in somebody's life, I don't have time to sacrifice for somebody else. And here is this great missionary that says, You're saying he's on fire? You're saying he's talented? I want to help somebody like that. And he took him. Picture a a mother hen with her her wings spread out, calling her chicks in. She takes them into her fold. Here's this busy missionary that says, I want him. Take him in. Oh, and I already see a stumbling block among the Jewish community. He's going to need to be circumcised so that, that they will accept him. And that's a whole other study of why did he have Ty, Timothy circumcised and later he took on Titus as, as one that he would mentor and he didn't circumcise him. That's another study. But it's interesting here, as his mentor, he wanted to set him up for success. He didn't want anything to hinder his progress in sharing the gospel. And so he says to him, this is what you'll need to do now. Why, why do you think Timothy would listen to him? I mean, think about it. Here's a guy that just rolls into town and he says, I want to take you on a trip. I want to teach you some things. And as a matter of fact, I also want to circumcise you before we go. How many of us would say, I don't want anything to do. If we had been through what Timothy had been through, we'd probably do the same thing. Yes, sir, Apostle Paul. Why? What had he been through? Remember that pyramid? He'd already seen the life of the great Apostle Paul. He'd already seen that relationship built with his mother and his grandmother and the Apostle Paul. And now when Paul speaks, he has influence. Now he says, I want to hear what you have to say. I want to learn what you're you're living. I want to learn from the way you do what you do. Friends, let's be serious. Let's be serious about the Lord's work. Believing that it should thrive far beyond our own lifetime. And if we're serious about the Lord's work, we invest heavily in the next generation. Mentors. You can't mentor the masses. Do you realize when you do read through the Bible, you don't read of Paul mentoring many? He was a partner with Barnabas, but Barnabas was his mentor. Timothy and Titus. What about Jesus? He came to this earth, how many did he mentor? Somebody says, maybe the twelve apostles. He preached to the multitudes, but he really didn't even fully mentor the twelve apostles. That's hard to mentor twelve people. But he did take Peter, Andrew and James close under his arms and he mentored them. You see, the question when we think about how are we going to have more Timothy-like figures, then we go back to point number one. You know, in this audience right now, there would probably be hundreds, and if not, at least close to a hundred, that they don't have a godly mother. Well, what do they need? They need someone who will mentor them and help them in the absence of what they've missed in their life. God's not expecting you to reach out and mentor the masses, but I believe with all my heart, He's expecting you to reach out and to take someone in. And in so doing, we stop looking at ourselves. We stop looking at all the things we wish we had or wish we could do, and we realize that life is not all about me. Life's all about Him and the ways He wants me to serve others. Yes, we address this question how can we have more Timothy like adults? Well, here's what's wanted according to the story of Timothy we need mothers who believe. Or we need churches that nurture. And we need mentors who invest, who make that sacrifice to say, I'll give you a part of me. I'll give you a part of my life. This morning, where are you? Are you more Timothy like or less Timothy like? Wouldn't it be wonderful to leave here saying, I made a change? It was Mother's Day of 2009 and I made a change in my life and I wanted to become more like Timothy or more like the great Apostle Paul or even better yet, more like Jesus Christ. If you've never become one of His, a brother of Christ, a son of the Almighty God, why not this morning? Are you a believer that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you willing to turn away from sins and confess before man that He is the Son of God? Will you be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins? Maybe you've become a Christian in the past and along the way you you haven't been living very Christ-like and not really like Timothy and you want to make that right this morning. We all make mistakes. This invitation is not asking who's perfect and who's not. At this time, it's simply the invitation of the Lord and we ask this question, who's forgiven and who's not? If you're not forgiven of your sins, won't you come forward as we stand as we sing?